Our second reading this morning comes from John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, but no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with that person. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to this, said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is God's word this day to the church. Let us pray. God of wisdom, we turn to Scripture to listen and to learn. Send your Holy Spirit to help us listen carefully so that we hear what we have not heard before and learn to follow Christ with deeper understanding and renewed commitment. Amen. So over the last uh, four years or so, I've probably told you enough stories about uh, me growing up. So most of you do know that I grew up in, uh, in the northwest Arkansas, the Ozark Mountains, um, and everywhere for the first 25 years of my life. Uh, as I grew up there, no matter where I went, no matter where I was, if I looked off in the distance, there were beautiful and lush mountains. Green mountains in the spring and the summer and frosty gray in the winter. And I can't even tell you about the fall. I mean, I know you've seen it. It's just breathtaking. I have said before that mountains are in my DNA. It's part of who I am. But one day, that continuous lifelong relationship with the mountains came to an abrupt end. I graduated from the University of Arkansas that's nestled there in the Ozark Mountains to take a job in Memphis, Tennessee, on the banks of the Mississippi. 
Now, Memphis is about as flat as you can get. From the banks of the river to the suburbs, I doubt the elevation fluctuates, but a couple hundred feet. So living in Memphis for the first six to eight months there, I was there, I noticed that I started to get depressed. I was not feeling well. I was sick, constantly getting colds and different things. And there was a tightness in my chest. Well, luckily for me, a holiday came along and I jumped in my car and literally raced back home. I know because I got a speeding ticket. I still remember uh, that speeding ticket I got that day. I haven't gotten a lot of those, honestly, in my life. I'm not much of a speeder, but uh, I did that day. Um, Now, when you leave Memphis and drive down I-40, if you've ever done that, uh, it's pretty flat. You're in eastern Arkansas where a lot of uh, bean fields and rice fields are. Um, And then you reach a point just past Little Rock uh, where you see off in the distance what looks like clouds. Uh, But for those of us that know, it's the beginning, the foothills of the mountains. I was home. I noticed immediately that my spirits lifted. My depression began to dissipate. The tightness in my chest disappeared. So for many years, I made sure that I would run back to those mountains at least once or twice a year and be renewed, to look upon the lofty heights and wonder and in awe of their majesty. Now, my life's journey has led me to lots of mountain ranges across the country. I still enjoy being in the mountains, and I think I have discovered what it is that drives me to those types of places. It's awe. I stand in awe of those peaks and summits. Now, the definition of awe is feeling a reverent respect mixed with fear and wonder. Reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. So for me, the majesty, the beauty of what God has created uh, also relates to the beauty and the power of the creator. And that's what gives me awe. When I was in Lynchburg, my previous church before I came here, I was fortunate to spend a lot of times in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, Lynchburg is very similar to Fayetteville, Arkansas. They're both right there at the foothills of some larger mountains, and you can usually see them in the distance. I was visiting one day with a longtime church member who was dying We were talking about his life and his new life in Christ and how we might plan his funeral to lift up that life. Now, this man was an engineer. Uh, He looked at life as a problem that could be solved with mathematics and calculations. His hobby and how he got uh, relief from those calculations was woodworking. He was really a master craftsman. And in his early life, he had helped design uh, much of the woodwork that was inside the sanctuary of the church there. Uh, The baptismal font, the pulpit, the lectern, he had all designed and made himself. uh, And they were beautiful. They were beautiful pieces of work, very detailed and solidly built. But as we talked about the liturgy and how we might celebrate his life, uh, the scripture that he uh, adamantly wanted to have read that day was the one that you've already heard today, Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, 
the maker of heaven and earth. Now, his explanation was that he had lived most of his adult life there in Lynchburg, surrounded by those foothills, those mountains of Appalachia, and he found peace and comfort in those mountains that surrounded him. I had found my kindred spirit. So we spent several afternoons talking about the majesty of God, the Creator, as they were expressed in the beauty of the mountains, the reverence, the awe, how we felt God's presence when we gazed upon such beautiful creation. So when that fateful day came and I walked out of the church leading his casket to the hearse to take him to his final resting place, my eyes looked to the hills for the power and the majesty, the presence of God who shaped them, who formed them, just like they had shaped and formed my friend, and just like they have shaped and formed each and every one of us. Now, I tell you this story because I think we have a tendency when we talk about God and the, really the presence of God in our life, that we lose a bit of that awe, that feeling of reverence and wonder. So I wanted us just for a moment to recapture that feeling if we can. And I want us to pause just for a moment. And I want you to think of a place a place in your life where you go, where you feel reverence, where you feel wonder, and maybe just a tiny bit of fear about the power of God. Take a few moments to think about that. Now, the reason I want you in this place of awe is because what we have before us is probably the most well-known Bible verse in the world, John 3.16, as Jim told the children. And the story of Nicodemus's nighttime visit to Jesus, maybe for many of us, that's a very familiar story. But hopefully we can look at this familiar story through this lens of awe, and we might draw something special, something important for us today. Now, as I've said, we have before us one of the great texts of our faith, the most famous probably of all scriptures of modern times, John 3.16. It is very familiar to us, and so maybe it loses a bit of the drama. Maybe it loses a bit of the sting. So if we do stand back for a minute and gather in the context in which it was spoken, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a religious leader, and a teacher of the law. He is a public figure of high standing in his community. Nicodemus has recognized something significant and noteworthy about this charismatic young teacher and notice the crowds that are flocking to him. He has come to realize that the presence of God was very clearly with Jesus. He says, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. So Nicodemus, in his use of that phrase, we know, tells us that he and others have sensed and gotten a glimpse of in Jesus, the most powerful force in the universe. The power, the majesty, and the awe of God. Yet here's the rub. 
Nicodemus's social and religious standing did not allow him to be seen openly consulting with this uncouth and untutored Jesus, a person that not everyone wanted to see in his rightful place of reverence. Jesus, to some, was a threat to the status quo. Nicodemus was risking all that he thought that he was in talking to Jesus, his place in his culture, his place in society, his very being, his very identity of who he was as a being. And it's within this discussion between Nicodemus lurking off in the shadows of night and Jesus, the light of the world, that we receive, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Gosh, I hope that verse still moves you. I hope it gives you a little tingle up the back of your spine. To to go back to my mountain metaphor, I hope you feel that feeling when you get, when you're on a hike and you're walking along the trail and you turn a bend and all of a sudden there's the peak. Maybe it does. I hope it does. Now there's a lot to unpack here. The Greek word for here that they use, that we translate into love, God so loved the world, is uh, agapo. That's different from agape. Agape is uh, like the friendship ritual pad that you just passed around. It's, it's brotherly, sisterly love. It's friendship that we have in our congregation. That's a different word. The Greek word here is used, we might translate it as love dearly. Love dearly. God so dearly loved the world. God so dearly loved the world. Again, the Greek word here for world is cosmos. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that phrase uh, and think of God so loved the world, the one picture that generally pops into my head is that picture taken from space of, of the earth, what they call the blue marble, the earth floating out there. Uh, But that's not what they're talking about here. Uh, The ancients didn't have any understanding of that science or technology or that world. They didn't really even sometimes know what was on the next hill uh, beyond where they lived. Uh, What they meant by the cosmos, the world, was a way of being. It was a way of living. Humanity, nature, God, all working in harmony that it was created to work with. The cosmos was a state of being. It was a state of being. It wasn't a physical address. Now, that's really important to understand. It's not an address or a place. The the cosmos is a place of being. So let's take a hack at that. So God so dearly loved the cosmos, to use our word, God so dearly loved the cosmos that he gave of himself. So whoever believed in him will have eternal life. Now, I hope you grasp the difference. God loves us in everything we can see and imagine. God loves us so much that God is willing to give of God's self so that we might be part of that love. And finally, there's an action step to take. Whoever believes in him... And Jesus uses a story that Nicodemus would be familiar with, a story from the Exodus where the people grumbled against God. God had set them free from a lifetime of slavery under Pharaoh, but still the people grumbled. 
And God became angry and he sent amongst them poisonous snakes that would kill them. And the people turned to Moses and begged Moses for relief. So God, so Moses went to God and God instructed Moses to make a serpent of bronze and put it on a long pole and hold it up in the air. And so if someone got bitten by one of those snakes, all they had to do was look up at that bronze snake and they wouldn't die. They would live. Now again, this is a story that is from the Old Testament and Nicodemus would be very familiar with. As a religious leader and teacher, he'd probably told that same story a thousand times. But the moral of the story is that the people had to do something. They had to look up at that snake to be saved. So God desires God's people to do something with themselves. Just as the people of Exodus looked at that bronze snake, God wants us to look to that cross, the cross of Jesus for our salvation, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. For many of us, the gospel of Jesus Christ is summarized by the words of John 3.16, everyone who believes in Jesus will perish, will not perish, but will have eternal life. But sometimes we understand faith and believing in Jesus to be simply what we do with our minds. We lose the awe, the majesty, the grace. In John's gospel, being born from above and believing in Jesus are clearly not so much about what we do with our minds, but it's about what we do with our hearts and what we do with our life. Jesus says a few verses after the text that I read today that those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. In John's gospel, believing and doing are inseparable. Nicodemus lives in the darkness and the shadows of this story until the conclusion. When he emerges into the light with Joseph of Arimathea, who is another secret disciple, to bury Jesus, who has been crucified. Nicodemus shows to the community his love for Jesus by his faithful actions and the reverence for which he holds Jesus, the awe, the majesty of God's power. Now my hope for you this Lenten season is that you can go out for a nice walk. Go out to the beach. Go up to the mountains, walk around your neighborhood, and be in awe of what God has done for you. May we live that faithful life of action and love. For God so dearly loved the cosmos that he gave of himself, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.